0: Good morning. We will be in the Gospel of Mark this morning, Chapter Ten, verses thirty two through forty five. Before we read the text, just opening up kind of the setting that we can see here. This is the third time in our text, the third time that Jesus predicts, foretells the passion events. Uh, You could see these picking up in chapter eight, want to look at these and just see the pattern that exist in this passage. So in Mark 8, Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And Matthew gives more insight to that. It says, Jesus' word says, blessed are you, Simon of Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the divine revelation that knowing that Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he then begins to tell them what he will be doing, what is going to be his future. He doesn't tell them prior to this what his outcome will be. He starts unpacking what this messiah will look like and so in chapter 8 verses 31 he teaches them that he must suffer that he must be rejected that he must be killed and that at three days he will arise it's interesting to note the and i so identify with the uh peter uh, great heights and blowing it left and right right so Peter misunderstands, right, who this Messiah will be, how he will accomplish his work in the entrance of the kingdom of God. Jesus foretells his suffering, the passion events, and Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke the Lord. (laughs) And he says, that's not the way this is going to go, basically. And the rebuke is, Satan, get behind me. So he saw the events that led that deters from suffering as satanic, and that the means by which he will redeem his bride to divert from that path, even if his closest companion was a satanic attack. And he tells Peter that you are setting your minds on the things of man. And then they tells them, he tells them this that the greatness. Right, like he says, if any man will come after me, right, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so the pattern begins, the passion events, the disciples missing it, and then further instruction. And it happens three times. It happens in Mark chapter 8. It happens in Mark chapter 9. You just flip over. Verse 30, he says he went on from there and passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will arise. Second a time. And they didn't understand this. Verse 32 says this. The disciples um, do not see clearly. I think he gives us that parable in the passage earlier of the healing of the blind man from Bethsaida. He sees, but not clearly. They see, but not clearly. So he tells them this events, and then they say they don't understand it, and they were afraid to ask. And then you get the instruction, right? They're missing the point. They begin to be arguing on the way about who is the greatest. And Jesus says in verse 37, "Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, who will be great, is the one who will be servant of all and then more teaching comes so our text the third time the third time is the most the most information that Jesus gives about the passion events so let's read our text i'm in mark chapter 10 verse 32 and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was happened to him, what was to happen to him, saying, "See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief, over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles." one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when they attend heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, and Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. would desire to see you, Lord. Father, we, this text, these chapters, showing us the impossibility to attain, to ascend into such vision. We need your help. You said that your word, spirit, and life. And so we confess that all of us here are underneath this word. In need of grace and mercy. Will you grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, not to fill our heads with knowledge, and not to add a task to do, but to see in glory in Christ Jesus. May you be exalted. May your people humbly, dependently walk with you in order that you may be honored. And we pray all this In the name of the only name, we can pray, Jesus Christ, amen. So the first thing, so you see the pattern, passion events, disciples missing it, further instruction. So that's the pattern that Mark has developed here in the text for us. So we're talking about true discipleship, that's what we're talking about. And what it means to follow Christ on the way. So what does it look like? Well, first it looks like fear for those who are following, right? The, 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 the resolution of the Lord in the face of suffering is remarkable. So when you look at 32, it says they were on the way, literally on the pathway. They are on the journey. He has set his face like a flint towards jerusalem and it's not like he doesn't know what is waiting for him there he is absolutely certain of his destiny he is sure what will happen to him so much so that you see all these unpacking of these things of these literal events that's going to happen into our lord and so who is he surrounded by well he's surrounded by it says first of all he's working walking in front of them He's not behind them. He's not cowering. He is leading the way to Jerusalem. And they're amazed. It's not the first time that Mark has used this word in the in, in watching the disciples watching the life of Christ. There is an amazement to him. There's wonderment to him. They do not fully understand him. And what is the amazement thereby? Is it because they, he's already told them in chapter 8 that the, the Sanhedrin court will reject him. And he is going to the place where the Sanhedrin court is going to be. But he is not deterred from going. So they're amazed that he is facing this with such resolution and courage to go. He's not cowering from them. You hear the words of, in Luke, he says, how, he says I have a baptize, baptism to be baptized with. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Like he is hungry to accomplish the Father's work. work. He has set his face like that. And they're amazed at this. And they're also fearful. Now he's already told them just prior to this that the impossibility to be saved is not with man, but with God. Maybe they're lingering over this teaching of how this rich man was just fully rejected because he would not give up his riches and follow christ maybe there's amazement over that there's an amazement of fear that's waiting on them if he's a messiah if they're thinking that he is the messiah they know that he is the messiah and they're thinking of a a revolution that is coming his fate might be our fate so we might have the same suffering approach to us so they're afraid he doesn't He doesn't even address the fear so much as he tells them again what is going to happen. And so there's a crowd following and the disciples, and he takes the 12 out of that group, and he says to them, we are going to Jerusalem. We are going to Jerusalem. Not, I plan to go. It is a determination that's saying, it will be accomplished. We are going. And when he gets there, he says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest. This is exactly what happens at the rest of, this, of, the, of the book, right? In chapter 15, you can see all these events unpacking. The chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Literally, the Jewish Sanhedrin court did not have the authority to kill him because they were under roman rule but the gentiles are and it is literally that jesus is saying that he is going to be handed over to men that is a fearful thing david even speaking of that says do not let me be handed over to the hands of men there is no mercy with men being condemned to death and they will mock him verse 34 Matthew or Mark 15 tells us this. He tells us, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, I'm in mean, verses 16, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews, and they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him and when they had mocked him they stripped him off the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to be crucified so the chief priests marks 15:31 through 32 so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying he saved others he cannot save himself let the christ the king of israel come down from the cross that we might see and believe and those who were crucified with him also reviled him they mocked our lord he subjected himself to shame to mocking they spit on him mark 14:65 and they begin to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him and say to him prophesy and the guard received him with blows There is not a more disrespectful act that you can do to a man than to spit on him. It is utterly detestable. And yet our Lord sets his face like a flint to Jerusalem to be mocked and spit upon. They flogged him. Verse 34. Pilate wishing to satisfy, Mark 15, 15. Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd, release for them Barabbas. A murderer and having scourged jesus he delivered him to be dead to be crucified these events were already foretold this is not this was already in the mind of the triune god of how the son of god will be treated upon this earth think about that this is not an accident this is not an afterthought this is not plan b this is the plan isaiah 50 verse 7 but the lord god helps me therefore i'm not disgraced therefore i've set my face like a flint and i know that i shall not but be put to shame he is sure of where he is going and what is facing him I gave Isaiah 50 verse6, "I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who will pull out the beer. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. He knew Isaiah 53 verse three, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men men hide their faces psalms 22 7 all who see me mock me they make mouths of me and they wag their heads isaiah 53 12 therefore i will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors it was foretold it is the blueprint For the suffering servant to be mocked, to be spit, to be flogged, to die on behalf of his people. And Jesus is undeterred. You would think that that kind of understanding might enlighten the disciples to follow the path of suffering. It does not. Verse 35. The rebuke of the Son of Man against self-promotion. Who are James and John? They're the inner court. They're the three. In chapter 9, they're the ones who went to the Mount of Transfiguration. They seen the Lord... Glorified, bodily, amazed. The sons of Zebedee, the the inner circle with James, John, and Peter. This is really the only time I know of, check me here, that Peter is not labeled with them. It's the three. They exclude Peter. And Matthew tells them that, they, that his mother, they bring the mother along to ask Jesus to do this. Bring your mother along? So they're, in, they're requesting Jesus to do for them. And they say to him, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Those of you who have kids, have you ever been asked this? Hey, do me a favor. <laughs> Do the 24-hour challenge, right? Be daddy yes today. Do whatever we want you to do. And he says, Jesus giving them the opportunity to present their request to him. What do you want me to do for you? Let me know what's in your heart. What do you want me to do? To do for you. It is great that they're going to Christ with their desires, even if they are misguided. And yet he is allowing them to be entreated by him. What do you want me to do for you? Great question. Why would you answer that? I would wonder. And they said to him, Grant us. Bestow to us, grant us this gift to sit at your right and one at your left in your glory. This is a desire for prominence, for prestige, for honor. It is the very opposite of the path that he is walking. And yet, they don't understand this suffering But they just want to be in a place to be thought well of, to be seen by others, to look good, to receive glory. Now, they are right when they say, in your glory. They know this. Where do they get this idea from? And I think they get it from the Son of Man. So the Son of Man, the two texts that really that really point this out is Daniel chapter seven, and I'm going to read this. Daniel chapter seven verses thirteen and fourteen. And I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples nations and language should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed so there is this idea of him identifying himself as the son of man as the one to whom will be given this everlasting kingdom of glory of dominion They are right in understanding that Jesus will receive glory, but that is not at the present. They want the crown, but Jesus must first go to the cross. They want the glory, but the glory will first not come until the shame. They won't like the shame. Peter says that, right? Far be it from you, Lord. He doesn't want the suffering, he doesn't want the shame, he wants the glory, he wants the honor. Are we like that? Would you desire to use Christ as a means of self-promotion, prominence? Jesus says to them in verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. You do not know what you're asking. It is a rebuke. It is gentle. It is gentle. But nonetheless, he says, you don't understand what you're after. There is no crown without first. Bearing a cross. Does that surprise us? Did it surprise them? He told them this. If any man will come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He told them that in chapter 8. Of course, they didn't have chapter 8, but they had Jesus who was taught them that. We have chapter 8. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I will be which I am baptized they said to him we are able what is this cup well if you Psalm 75, 8 is an expression of this. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain down to the dregs. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel says to me, Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I ascended drink it. There is the wrath, the judgment of God. It is the cup of suffering. And they say, We are able. This is overestimation of oneself. Have you ever been there? Did you ever think that you could do things that you found out by experience? You were not able. Did you really think in yourself confidence and self-trust that you could accomplish something and then fell flat on your face? I have been there multiple times in my life. One of the greatest lessons that God has taught me is that I cannot trust myself. I cannot trust myself. No confidence in the flesh. None. Christ says, For without me you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing is nothing. You cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot do it. (laughs) We are able. Jesus, He says, With the baptism with which I am baptized. It literally means with the drowning that I will be drowned. The immersion in which I will be immersed. You do not know what you are asking. Jesus says this. He says to them, verse 39, Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. Now there is a dual meaning in this, I think is that we are partakers of the cup because in his death was our death and in his judgment our sin was judged there is a way in which we partake of that but i also think that it is a pattern for all of those who follow christ will suffer will endure persecutions might look different in the context of where we sit today in our culture and time But I think it's coming. I think to further identify yourself with a crucified Lord and the shame that it will will bear upon us and the culture's rejection of those things is hot boiling up. It is getting increasingly more hostile to identify yourself with our crucified Lord. They do not love our Lord. And therefore, they will not love you. You will be. They did. In fact, James is the first one to go. Acts chapter 12, right? Herod is the one who put James to death. And John himself was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for his testimony to the Lord. Listen to Revelations chapter 1 verse 2 how he identifies himself. He says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all that he has seen. He says, verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos on account of, of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He did drink the cup, and he was baptized with the baptism of suffering and rejection by this world. He said, you will drink it. Then he says, but to sit on my right hand or my left, back chapter 40, chapter 10, verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus is always subjecting and yielding himself to the Father. And it says that this is prepared. Someone has already prepared this and determined who will be at his left and his right. It is not yours to be granted by some favor. It has already been prepared by the Father. It is his to grant. And it is already determined. It cannot be bestowed upon you by my favor. Verse 41. And this shouldn't surprise us, right? The two that want self-promotion does what to the rest? (laughs) Verse 40. Um, Excuse me, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now, is it out of envy? Did they, beat, did they beat them to the punch? Is this not what they want to? Well, I think it is because Jesus calls them to him. Verse 42, he says, Jesus called them to him, all of them. And the rebuke is spoken to all of them. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the ethics and the values of this world are not the way the kingdom of God is. It's not how it should be. He tells us this. He calls them to him. Notice the patience of Jesus. Like you understand the strain. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. This cup, he knows what's coming. And yet, The patience and gentleness of Jesus, these people want to use him for their own self-promotion and he doesn't get irritated with them. He is patient with them and says, let me reshape the way you are thinking. Aren't you glad that the Lord works in us to reshape our minds? Things that we think are right, he, that are absolutely contrary to the kingdom of God, he reshapes, he remolds. Patient is our Lord. He tells them what they see with their eyes and what they felt in their own culture. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They dominate. They master. The ones who are in authority suppress for their own benefit the power in which they yield. It is they rule over it. They rule over you because they have authority over you. The great ones exercise authority over them. If you're great in this world, it is because you have many servants and people do what you say. You're great because you can manipulate your will and make people do what you want them to do. Greatness. It's power. Verse 43. But it shall not be so among you it shall not be so among you it's emphatic right it shall not be the power of those words is the one who spoke them who will who will discipline those who use power to exercise that type of authority you see it all around you Those who come into Christ's kingdom and try to use power in this way will receive discipline. Think about your culture today. Think about those who are prominent in the churches and you see their legs being chopped out underneath them and they're dismissed from those positions. Why? It shall not be so among you. It will be exposed. He will have his bride, his church, acting the way he acted. It will not be among you. When we are acting outside of what God has prescribed for us, it is hurtful and harmful not only for ourselves, but for all those our lives influence and touch. You are not autonomous. You belong to Christ. But you want to be great? Be a deacon. That's what the word is: diakonos. Serve people, serve them. You want to be great? Serve. Wait tables. If the greatest thing that he's called us to do is to love one another, the act of service is an expression of that love. Because service has an intent on others. And you cannot love if you are focused on yourself. It shall not be among you. But if you would be great, whoever, you want to be great, you want to desire greatness? But it's not the means by which the world accomplishes greatness. It's by service. Verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be doulos, literally, slave. Of all, If you want to be first, make yourself the last, is what he's saying. Be a slave, not choosing whom you will serve, but serve all. A slave to all. This is very contrary to the way the world thinks. What it values. What it esteems. What we think of honor, what we think of prestige, we don't have in mind servants and slaves as being the people that we would desire to model, to be like. And yet, that's what Jesus is telling us. He is reshaping the kingdoms of the values, the ethics and the values of the kingdom of God are not like this world. Don't bring the world into this kingdom. It does not work like that. It's counter-cultural. It is not the way the world works. So what does that mean? How do I live in this world not adapting its values and ethics and live opposite of those things? How do I do that? Well, I think he answers in chapter, chapter 10, verse 45. I think the answer to that question is embedded in this verse. For even huh, that Son of Man, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. If Jesus, if you have not humbled yourself like a child and allowed Jesus to serve you, you are not in his kingdom. For all who are in his kingdom have been served by him. There is a way in which we can live that we do not think we forfeit and reject God By our own goodness, our righteousness, I don't need to be served. You have more important things to do than worry about poor old little me. It's pride. It is a refusal to allow Jesus to serve you. And he must. It is a humbling thing. And that's where the gospel of Mark is driving us to. You have to come to the end of your personal resources and rely upon the service and substitutionary atonement of Christ. There is no other way. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. The question that we ask here is, so all this passion events, all these passion events that he talks about, foretells, this is the one where he gets to why all those events must take place. It is for the ransoming, ransoming of the many, the all, both Jews and Gentiles. Ransom from what? Shouldn't the question be ransomed from what? What is a ransom? It's a payment. You think about kidnapping and they want a ransom. You turn over the money and they buy the person, right? It's kind of the same. You're thinking about this. Who who is being ransomed? And who, and who is so Jesus is paying the ransom. Who is the ransom payment to? It is God. The suffering that Jesus will endure. Is yours and mine. It is what we deserve. There are none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are storing up wrath for ourselves. by our sins the greatest problem that you and i have is not a desire for self-esteem it is not self-promotion to feel better about myself no the biggest problem that you and i have is that god is against you if you are outside of christ his wrath is against you and it is impossible for man. That's what he says in this chapter. He says, who, the disciples ask this question, who can be saved? And he tells them, it is impossible for man. It is an impossibility for you to do anything about the situation that you are in. You have committed an infinite offense in you being a finite being have not the means to atone to ransom yourself it must be on the basis of christ what we are delivered from is condemnation the wrath of god against us the guilty verdict of guilty We are not condemned because Christ was condemned for you. He took the curse. It is his life that is yours. And the death that you deserved, he died. The ransom is the torn flesh. And the blood of the eternal Son of God that died in your place. Death is conquered, hell is conquered. The grave was conquered. The Messiah did issue, enter in his kingdom. He, it, he brought it into being by the resurrection. He is the one who is going to receive glory. And if you and I are going to see that glory, it is only on the basis of the merit of the work and death and resurrection of the Son of God. He ransomed you. Why would you want to use his death as means to promote yourself? You're going to ride on the scourged back of the crucified Lord to feel good about yourself in the eyes of men? We ought to shudder under that thought that spiritual pride will come into our lives, the thinking well of ourselves, when it is the crucified Lord that we have life from. Worship him. The only way that you and I are going to come to a place where we will be the slave of people and the servant of others is seeing the magnitude of what it costs for the Son of God to save you. Do you esteem him lightly or do you magnify the Lord's death and resurrection? Is his death, do you identify with him in that? Because the degree to which you don't is the degree that you will promote yourself. Humility is covered in this. And that is the soul bed of a changed life that will have ears to hear what our Lord is saying to us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God of God. We live 2,000 years later talking about a Jewish carpenter who was crucified. And we say that is that story is the pinnacle of God's story. And it has become our story. My life is embedded in His. May He keep us Thinking, worshiping, reviewing, reminding ourselves of what the cost of that ransom was. Let us pray. Father. termination of your son to redeem his people the triumph of our Lord how he crushed the enemies of death under his feet and one day you are returning not as the suffering servant, but as the Lord of glory. May we live like you, by your help, by dependence on you. Let no one go out of this room thinking, why I've got to be a slave because that's how Jesus wants me to live. As if it is another task to do. We are not self-sufficient. Help us increase our dependence on you as we wait as you minister, serve, glory.